0: Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comment section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org.
1: We're in a series of messages out of the Gospel According to Mark, and it's looking at Jesus, the servant of God and we're really trying to identify how we, as followers of Jesus, disciples who are following in his pathway, can live that same type of life as a servant who lives as a servant in this world and yet brings the kingdom of God to the world around us. Now, Mark's gospel is very fast moving. There's a lot of things that happen as you read through Mark's record of Jesus's life, but in that fast pace of seeing miracles, of seeing teaching, and just different activity that Jesus uh, does and miracles he performs, he is not in any way an authoritative figure who comes over people, but instead he is that one who comes to serve those uh, whom he also comes to save. And so we see this in Mark 8, 42 to 45. It's the key portion of scripture that we kind of highlight out of Uh, this uh, the book of Mark it says and Jesus called them to him and said you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them but it shall not be so among you whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many now and The previous message to this one, we began looking at uh, the servant's obedience and that a servant does what the master directs him to do. And uh, this is true of Jesus's life over and over. He said, I don't do works on my own strength or of my own direction. I do what the father tells me to do. I speak the words the father tells me to speak. And so in this role of the obedient servant, we come underneath to support people whom oftentimes we would choose not to serve. In fact, in today's message, uh, we're going to look at a few types of people that are difficult to serve, but it's still the role of the servant not to just choose whom we want to serve, but we serve those whom the master calls us to serve. Let's pray as we go to the scriptures and invite the Holy Spirit to lead our time together. We do welcome you Holy Spirit to breathe life into us, to clear away the cobwebs of our own thinking and the patterns of this world and the ideas that we often get entrenched into. And instead, we welcome you to speak to us through the scripture and to cause it to come alive unto us to cause our minds and our hearts to be ready to receive what you would want to speak to us. Lord, we do not know intrinsically, just on our own ability, how to serve, because Lord, we're very selective with who we want to serve. Instead, we need your leading and we need your empowering to show us whom it is you're calling us to serve and then enabling us to humbly come in and serve with the power and the kingdom of God those whom you're directing us to uh, bring the kingdom to and so we thank you for your word we thank you for its life-changing ability and we invite it into our lives now in jesus name amen well the passage that we're going to be looking at is out of mark chapter 8 verses 14 through 21 and we're going to begin by looking at those who are and, and how to serve those who are slow to learn Slow to learn. I fit in this category. You might find yourself there as well. And so listen as I read from God's word and and it'll be on the screen as well. This is speaking of the disciples and Jesus who are now in the boat traveling. It says, now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is a really powerful interaction between Jesus and the disciples. And the circumstances are, again, we find the disciples and Jesus in a boat. They're traveling to another region and uh, they had forgotten to bring along enough bread and they're now in the boat where obviously they're not going to get any more and they had already experienced where jesus had multiplied bread over twice two different instances where he had taken and multiplied out feeding literally thousands of people and so the assumption would be that they understand jesus's ability to provide bread, material provision for them. But it seems like there's a disconnect with the disciples. They're thinking he's talking about physical bread and the fact that they didn't bring enough, and yet Jesus is talking about something of a spiritual nature and trying to help them make connections. They, it appears, and it's pretty clear actually, that they weren't making the connections that Jesus was wanting them to make between spiritual matters and physical matters. And so it's in the midst of this that Jesus the servant, though frustrated, he continues to disciple. His questions, why are you talking about bread? (laughs) You ever find yourself thinking, maybe not saying it out loud, maybe you have said it out loud, to somebody who's not quite getting what you're saying and the thought is, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Why aren't you getting this? In fact, we have sayings in our culture that have to do with these types of things. That guy's just one fry short of a happy meal. (laughs) Is it hollow in your head? Is there anything up there? I can see from one side to the other, right? We make light of it when people don't get things, when they don't understand us. But is this what Jesus was doing? Well, his frustration is definitely showing up. He's questioning them, and pushing a little bit against their lack of uh, connection between what he's speaking and what they're thinking about but he wasn't condescending this isn't jesus belittling them or telling them that they don't have it all together but he was very direct and telling them hey guys step it up Waken up shake yourself and, and start being more alert to what it is that i'm doing you're not just along for the ride in other words you're not just in the boat and my groupies who are following me as I do these miracles. I need you to pay attention to what I'm doing. I need you to make connections between what I'm teaching and what's happening in the moment. You're not just passive, you're active in this discipling process. Now there are few things as frustrating as when people just don't get it. And I'm I'm not talking about learning disabilities here. We all understand that different folks have different capacities for for learning and different obstacles they have to overcome to learn things. But I'm really talking about somebody who has the capacity but really just isn't tuned in, who's kind of in their own world, we might say. These are the ones that you really have to ask God for patience with because you're teaching over and over and they just seem to take you farther than you want to go. They require more of your patience than you want to give. The reality is you and I will be much more quickly and readily exasperated with people and not willing to go very far with them. Whereas God is much more willing to go farther with people, including yourself, including myself. I've had multiple times where people say, ah, just move on from that person. They're just not worth it. They're just not catching on. But I am continually reminded the God asked me to serve those who seem slow to learn or who are not moving at a pace that I would like them to be learning at. You know, we patiently serve slow learners, those who are not quick to get it because our master has been patient with us to figure out what he's doing in our lives. And so it, it calls for us to be patient with others. How many times has Jesus walked with me and taught me the same lesson over and over and how patient he is with me and not giving up on me. And so in the same way as others are slow maybe to catch on to things that we're discipling them in, it's not a call for us to just cast them aside. Instead, it's an invitation for us to be patient with them. We're learning this, I'm learning this. And just as Jesus is maybe frustrated but patient with the disciples, likewise, we need to take that same approach. The reason, another reason that we're patient to serve slow learners is that we see the gift that comes to our lives when we have to slow down for others because it humbles us to recognize that we're not completely understood. It's a gift to your life, it's a gift to my life when somebody is not picking up quickly. Why? It reminds me that I'm not perfect in my communication. It reminds me that I'm not easily understood. I don't always explain things well. It's not always that the person is slow to learn, sometimes. It's that I'm slow or not very good at communicating the idea or what it is that I'm trying to disciple somebody in. Jesus had every right to be frustrated. He had communicated clearly, but I don't have that same right. He communicated very well and I have to recognize oftentimes I don't and so it's a gift that comes to our life when somebody is slow to learn something. It reminds us that we need to be patient because we're not perfect in our discipling process and teaching others uh, how to grow in Christ. The third reason that we need to patiently serve others is that in patience, we slow down and we communicate a loving approach together we, we, uh, with others. We, we show that we're, we're not just so quick to move on from people that people deserve our patience, that they're worth us slowing down for, that they have value even if it takes time, that they have the value uh, that we want to show them love. And so we communicate that loving approach by not just casting them aside and, and moving on, I think about the disciples, Jesus could have easily gotten to the other side of the shore and just said, you know what? Scrap it guys, we're done. You're not discipleship material. I'm just gonna do this on my own and gone ahead and done his miracles. But listen, Jesus didn't do that. He knew that he needed to patiently disciple and even if it was frustrating at times, work with those who he was leading because it was bigger than himself. He needed to lovingly show them the kingdom of God and walk with them through that. And we need to do the same thing. The next way we obediently serve comes from Mark 8, 22 to 30. It's uh, seeing those who don't see clearly, serving those who don't uh, see clearly. Mark uh, 8, 22 to verse 30. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now, there are two types of sight that are illustrated or addressed in these passages. The first is a physical sight, and the second is spiritual sight. In the first, the man without physical sight He's brought before Jesus by people, it says, by some people. It doesn't even say family, it doesn't say who these people are, it just says some people. And the people begged him, Jesus, to touch him. It's a spectacle, isn't it? It's a show. Do your miracle thing, Jesus. This man was simply a prop for what they wanted to see Jesus do. They wanted to see more signs and wonders. And so they drag this blind man in front of Jesus in the crowd And they say, come on, Jesus, do your thing. What a spectacle. What a sad situation to be that man, to be in the middle of this, not seeing what's happening, but realizing that you've been thrown into the middle of something that's really not of your own choosing. Verse 23 says that Jesus led the man out of the crowd and he takes him out of the village to perform the miracle that restores his sight. This is really a great, kind of insight to us, that if the miracle is more about the performer than the glory of God being revealed in the person, something's amiss, something's not quite right. It's no longer the work of a servant, but it's the work of a showman. Not all miracles have to be done in private, that's not the point that I'm making, but it certainly doesn't, miracles certainly aren't used, and it doesn't need to and shouldn't exploit people And the servant doesn't exalt himself or herself but instead turns the attention to god and so when we come to serve those who are not seeing clearly even if it's physical seeing but also in spiritual seeing as we're bringing sight to people bring awareness to folks whether again that's the miracle of sight or whether it's spiritual sight It's not to make a spectacle of them. It's not to bring ourselves more attention and to become a showman or a showwoman in front of others. It's to bring glory to Jesus Christ. So the servant, the other thing that we can see in this, the servant continues to minister until the outcome is what the master or the father wants to see accomplished. In this first instance, we see Jesus spit and apply it to the man's eyes, and he doesn't immediately see clearly. He begins to see blurry images that looks like trees walking around. And so Jesus, again, applies a a second instance of healing. He prays again, and the man begins to see. Now he sees clearly. Similarly, in the second instance, we see the disciples who are walking with Jesus and he's asking if people see him clearly, spiritually, who do people say that I am? What are they seeing in me? And in the second instance, the people, the disciples say, some say John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets, but then he asks them about their sight. He says, who do you see? Do you see me clearly? Do you see what you need to see, who I really am? Peter declares that he is the Christ. So we see Jesus patiently ministering to the first, the blind man with physical blindness until he sees clearly. And the second is such a great illustration of Jesus ministering with the disciples until they clearly see him, not just as the world sees him as others see him, but until they clearly see him and Peter declares, you are the Christ. We might be tempted to give up on people prematurely we might be tempted to just leave them as they are because well they just don't see it the way we see it but Jesus is patient until they can see more clearly I want to emphasize this breakthrough vision is often not in our initial efforts but in discerning what is happening and then continuing with Jesus we see this often in the gospels where Jesus is ministering And the first episode, the first instance, isn't always the one that brings about the result, but Jesus discerns the moment and then breaks through with the glory of the kingdom. And it can oftentimes be so with us. So we are patiently serving in obedience to those who do not see clearly, those who need more time, those who need more effort and patience to be able to see clearly. Lastly, the obedient servant ministers to those who think they already know it all. <laughs> I must confess this is possibly to me one of the most difficult groups to walk in discipleship with. It's maybe a reflection of my own heart, my lack of patience and, and sometimes my own willingness to walk through with people, but this is a real challenge and and Jesus experiences this as well, Mark eight thirty-one to 37, serving those who think they already know. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? We had just read in the previous passage that Peter had the right answer. When Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who said very clearly, very plainly, very directly, you are the Christ. And it was the right answer. Peter knew the right answer in that moment. Peter had spoken with insight and wisdom on one thing. (laughs) You are the Christ. Isn't it interesting that in this passage that I just read that it's Peter again who speaks up. You know, sometimes we get one thing right, so we start applying our answers to everything. Peter got one thing right. That didn't mean he knew it all. That didn't mean that the way that Peter approached the last question that Jesus had was the same way that he should approach this next instance and rebuking Jesus. Peter had one thing right. That didn't mean he had all the answers. Being bold with his answer about knowing that Jesus was the Christ was the right answer. So again, Peter goes to his go-to response, right? Peter, the bold one, he's going to tell Jesus that the cross is not the right way. This will never happen, Lord. He only sees ascension. He only sees glory. He only sees victory in Jesus' life. However, boldness was not the right answer in this one. This time Jesus rebukes Peter as the voice of Satan instead of the voice of revelation. What a contrast, isn't it? Just a little bit ago, Peter was lifted up and given this place of an example of the one who had divine revelation and saying, Jesus, you are the Christ. And now we're just reading a few paragraphs later that Peter's being rebuked because the answer before isn't the answer now. His go-to response of being bold and rebuking Jesus was not the right approach in this moment. I think we can learn here that servants who lose sight of their self-interest and self-promotion, they need to deny themselves. They're the ones that are going to have the right response, not the ones who always go to their, their, their inward inclination, the thing that they draw from most all. They need to deny themselves. They need to die to their own control. Of how life will work and where it will go where it will take them they need to take up their cross it says as jesus encouraged the disciples and they need to get on the same road as their master they need to get on the same road as jesus and follow him peter's response was to make a bold declaration again and jesus said wrong answer peter not this time i don't need your bold declaration i need you to die to yourself to deny yourself take up your cross, to die to your self-interest and your purposes and your plans, to go where I'm going, to humble yourself and not be bold and not be declarative, but to just follow me in the way of the master's leading. I wanna just point out a few ways that we can, become, become, we can avoid becoming Christian know-it-alls, and we can do it by these things. For one is not always going to our go-to area of strength every time. Getting a bigger hammer is not always the answer. (laughs) A bigger hammer to crush that square peg into a round hole is not always the answer. Sometimes we just have to recognize we're not well suited for what is the situation calls for. We don't have the right tool, the right gifting, the right answer for what it is that's needed. And we just need to come humbly and recognize that, Lord, I don't have what's needed, I don't know it all, I don't have it all in the circumstance. The other way we can avoid becoming Christian know-it-alls is by humbly and willingly saying, I don't know, or I think, but I'm not sure, to things that scripture is not emphatic about, or that's not explicitly stated. You know, that this is a real challenge sometimes for Christians who want to always have the right answer, or at least an answer, and even when it's not explicitly stated in scripture, sometimes Christians can become very emphatic about things. When the gospel, when the scripture isn't emphatic about it, there's room for discussion, there's room for other viewpoints. But sometimes people get very, much, uh, vo- very vocal and very strong in their views on these things. Can I suggest that every hill, if every hill is a battle that you're dying for, then you're exhausting the people around you. If every point that comes up that's open for discussion is a hill that you are dying on and you're arguing and you're pushing, can I suggest, not only suggest I've experienced this, you're exhausting the people around you. You are that know-it-all. I wanna encourage you, limit what you're lovingly emphatic about. Limit the number of hills that you're willing to die on and let the rest be somebody else's hill. You can't be the one who dies on every hill. Otherwise, people will get tired of talking with you about things. Instead, be willing to say, hmm, I don't know. Or I think, but it's open for discussion. What do you think? That's somebody who's not a know-it-all. That's somebody who's willing to put forward their thought or their idea. Limit the things that you're willing to, what hill you're willing to die on. And then the third way that we can avoid becoming Christian know-it-alls is by being more curious and willing to be taught by others than assuming to be the smartest or most capable of teaching others. Many people will say I'm teachable, but what they mean is I'm willing to learn from those I perceive to be worthy of my time and intelligence. That's not necessarily being teachable, that's just being willing to learn. Truly being teachable means that God can speak through anyone he chooses, even my perceived enemies. And I'm also a person who's listening and I'm ready to learn, not just arguing. If you're arguing a lot, then you probably fit the description of a quarrelsome and contentious person who's in the New Testament is instructed to be quiet and to sit and to listen and learn and not be contentious. So these are challenging things, but we don't want to be know-it-alls. We want to be ones who are continually learning. And to be learning, we need to be teachable truly by anyone at any time. The reality is we're called to serve people who are sometimes self-promoting and think they know more than they know. And so sometimes these people are to be commended. Other times they're to be corrected. But they are always to be loved and taught the ways of the Lord. How do we love a know it all in our life? What are some things that we can do? One is to recognize it as an insecurity or an attempt to control the situation. Very few people actually think they know all the answers. Oftentimes, it's that they're using their ideas and what they know to voice uh, and their voice to affirm their place among their peers or in a crowd. And they use their ideas to. Uh, help control the situation, to calm the situation, to let others know that it's not too big of a problem, that they have answers for these things. So they often think that their answers can put others at peace. And so recognize that oftentimes for the know-it-all, it's really born out of insecurity or attempt to control the situation. How else can you love somebody who is always right? Uh, Well, you can lovingly not provide them a platform or limit his or her platform that would otherwise cause them harm in their relationships or harm others by their overuse of their knowledge, whether that's perceived knowledge or real knowledge. What I mean by limit their platform is uh, don't, don't give them opportunities or uh, try to limit the amount that they influence others and would somehow harm those relationships. And, and so you can provide love for them in that way. Another way is if you have a trusted relationship, then gently and lovingly share how it feels to befriend someone who always has the answer and positions himself or herself as being the smartest in the room. Again, this is best done in a relationship, somebody who trusts you and whom has gained your your trust in, in that they can listen to you. They know that you're not just trying to nitpick or harm them And so gently and lovingly let them know how it feels when there's always presented the single right answer or the best answer and they always have it. Another way is instead of trying to expose the person, which is sometimes what people do, love would say to do your best to listen to them and ask questions and model humility and curiosity. Show them what it looks like to be one who doesn't always have the right answers. And then in that context, you can support them and help them be a disciple who moves out of that place of knowing it all towards being more open to receiving an instruction from others. These three are not easy. We're asked to serve others, to humbly come alongside as obedient servants and to serve people in these categories. It's not often that we're asked to serve people who are easy to serve, often like Jesus, We're called to love people who sometimes we find it difficult to serve. In this message, we've looked at those who are slow to learn. I would count myself among one of those that the Lord has to continually teach me the same lesson over and over, but I'm so thankful he does because there are times when it clicks for me and I get it and I see myself discipling farther along with him. We are called to serve those who don't see clearly and need time. You know, we don't always have the right answer at the right moment. And we don't always see things the way that uh, we we should see them. And likewise, people that we're loving and caring about don't always see right away. And so our patience is to walk with them until it becomes more clear. And then lastly, there are those who were called to serve who think that they always have the right answer. They're the Christian know-it-all. They're the person who always has the answer and they're dying on every hill, argument, argumentative and, and always presenting that their view is the only view. We're still called to love those people. Sometimes we are those people and we need to humbly submit ourselves and, and learn to be people who uh, draw from the master, who learn from Jesus, who sometimes can say, you know, I don't know. I'd like to find out, but I just don't know the answer to that and that's the right response at times and other times we're ministering to those who have all the right answers and we just need to come alongside of them and gently disciple them and lovingly care about them leading them in the grace of the lord and teaching them what are the things that they really do need to die on what hills are worth fighting for and which ones can they find humility and not always present their answers well I pray that God will give you wisdom and discernment as to how to lead through these things, how to serve others in these ways. I believe he wants to, for you and for me, that we would be a church who are obediently serving him by serving people who are not always easy, but who are most definitely worthy of the love of Jesus as we do this in our families, in our communities, in our church, in the world around us that we give of ourselves to be obedient servants just as Jesus humbly and obediently came and served us by laying down his life. God bless you as you do it and I'm confident the Holy Spirit will empower you to live it out.
0: You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.